Michelle uh, for leading us today. Uh, Abby is on vacation in the wonderful Isle of Jamaica. And I, I asked Jim and Abby if I could go with them, and they forbid me to go. So, uh, of all the, uh, we have a, Polly and I have an affinity for Jamaica because uh, we've been involved in the building some churches down there, and we've been down there four or five times, and uh, just love that little island. So, Abby and Jim are going to go down, and go, hey, let me tell you what, you got to go here, you got to go here, you got to go here. You remember the uh, cartoon called Fern Gully? Remember that one? That's actually from Jamaica. Uh, there's a little uh, valley you go through, and uh, so uh, when we're in the middle of it, they go, this is Fern Gully, you know, and so, uh, so we know where that's at. All right, well, anything exciting happened this past week? No wind. No wind is broken. None of that. I woke up at 1 in the morning, and when that wind finally hit, and uh, something was hitting the house, and I walked downstairs, or upstairs, so I was sleeping in the basement, uh, and, uh, uh, and I heard the windows cracking, literally cracking when the wind hit it. And then I kept hearing something hitting the house, and here was all of the uh, mulch that we had uh, back in our flower garden that was hitting the house. And so, uh, so uh, then went down to Indianapolis, helped my daughter, and then came back and found that part of my shed was on the, on the ground, so I had to fix that yesterday and everything else. So it, it was an exciting time. Now this week we've got to worry about floods, I guess, because we've got four days of rain coming. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Uh, by the way, anything else happened this week? Anybody know that the Oscars were last week? Oh, boo. Um, by the way, before the Oscars happened, did any, how many of you watched it? I'm, cur- I'm not going to point you out or anything. I'm just curious. Nobody watched the Oscars. Mm, my conspiracy theory continues to happen. <laughs> did you know that there was an incident that happened in the Oscars? Yes. yes. Uh, did you know that Will Smith uh, slapped Chris Rock? Okay, you're aware of that? Uh, when I first saw it, I'll be honest with you, my, my, my fleshly side comes out and I go, good. Good. Hollywood finally got slapped. You know, that, that, that's really what I thought. Then I'm sitting back there thinking, well, that's not a right attitude. Because as a pastor, I've had those situations before. Not that somebody slaps me, you know. But when something happens in the church service and you have to... You have to think on your feet, what do you do because I'm on national TV or I'm in front of the congregation. And so Chris Rock actually acted the best way that he could. But, you know, throughout the week I've been thinking about this. I said, I'll say, so uh, um, uh, Will Smith got up and slapped Chris Rock because Will Smith uh, uh, disrespected his wife. Gave a joke. Did that get backwards? Yeah, Chris Rock. Okay, we'll turn it around, Okay. But anyway, he disrespected his wife, and so that gave him a right to go up and slap somebody. No. No, No, it didn't. And then I was thinking to myself, I said, what could Will Smith have done that would have really gotten the point across? And because right now, he's he's done. He's blacklisted. I I really doubt if he'll ever work again. I'm just giving my opinion. But what could he have done that Hollywood would have went, oh, and I guarantee all you women would have went, oh, what could he have done besides getting up there and slapping him? Well, my first thought was, is some of you said, because we were talking about it in the Christian ed department, uh, 
as uh, taking him aside silently and says, I don't appreciate what you said. Please don't ever do that again. Okay, that's the biblical way, right? Because if you've been offended by somebody, you're to take them aside and talk. Then I thought, well, another thing you could have done is you could have walked on stage and just pointed at him and said, don't talk to my wife that way. And for a while there, I thought, oh, that was pretty, that, maybe that's the way to do it. I mean, biblically, I, mean, I don't know if that's wrong biblically, but I don't know, at least you're not slapping the guy. Then about an hour or two later, I thought about this. What would Jesus have done? Well, we're in the Easter season, aren't we? Jesus did it. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Okay. I think, now you can tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Don't come up and slap me for it, but uh, <laughs> tell, tell me I'm wrong. If Will Smith would have looked at his wife, what's her name? Jade? Jada. Jada? Okay, whatever, whoever she is. Would have looked at her and said, come on, let's go. And would have walked her out of the Oscars and said, irregardless if I get this piece of metal, I'm not going to subject my family to this. And then the reporter would have came up to him and says, why did you walk out? And Will would have said, I will not subject my wife to this type of insult. But you gave up the opportunity for, for the Oscar. And Will could have said, but my wife is more important and is the most important thing in the world to me, including this cold piece of metal. Now, how many women went, oh, Aww. did you like that? Yes. Is that a good idea? Yes. Uh, because what that does is, what is, the, what is the essence of pure love? Pure love is sacrificing you for someone else, right? Okay, and, and the Bible talks about uh, two becoming one, you're no longer separate, you come together. I mean, that's what pure love is. In, in, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perverts. perverts always perseveres. <laughs> Love never fails. And so we're in this uh, Easter season right now, and uh, we've been trying to answer the question, why the cross? Why did God choose the cross? I mean, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about Genesis chapter 1. We talked about Genesis chapter 3. We talked about all that. So we know that humanity had rebelled against God. And so God, what did God do? What did, I mean, so, so we know that he, he, he uh, we disobeyed God, and yet God still loved us. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this. There's no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for your friend. See, if Will Smith would have done that, that's literally laying down his life for his wife. Now, I know there's more to the story. I mean, when, when, when you're in the people business and you watch people's reactions, action, reaction, and I, I watch the, 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 the 
the tapes of Will Smith, there, there's more to the story. And I know it's going to, and it's been coming out and it's going to come out. But I think if, if he were to sacrifice because he loved his wife, he would have imitated what Jesus did when he sacrificed and came to this earth. Think about it. Jesus, we're talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, means that, that he was in heaven and he had the angels that were proclaiming the glory of God and, and the perfection of sinless society that's there. And yet he took on the form of a human and came to this earth and sacrificed and came and eventually to die for us. Now turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20. We are the Sunday before Palm Sunday today. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he looked at his twelve and he took them aside and he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will raise to life. This tells me a lot. It tells me that Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to go to Jerusalem. He knew why he was going to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be mocked. He knew that he was going to be flogged. He knew that he was going to be put on the cross. He knew all this was going to happen. So this was no surprise to him. It tells me that he purposely came to this earth and purposely went to Jerusalem. God gave up everything. Jesus gave up everything. Came to this earth and planted himself in the womb of a, of a woman. Was, went through the humiliation of being born. And then became dependent upon a woman for a period of time. And wrapped in swaddling clothes and all this. Why did he do it? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. The first is... He wanted, I think God wanted to dramatically demonstrate his huge love for you. See, Jesus didn't come to this earth for the mosquito. He, he didn't come to this earth for the worm. He didn't come to this earth for the snake, for the lion, for the lamb. He didn't come to this earth for the turkeys. He didn't come to earth. He came to this earth for the human being. Because as we learned in Genesis chapter 1, that we were created in the image of God, we were the highest of God's earthly creation. And because we were created in the image of God, and we were separated, uh, we were created separate from the animal kingdom, he has a tremendous amount of love that he has for us. And so he wanted to demonstrate that love. Not by going on stage and slapping somebody, but, but, but willing to sacrifice for us. There's no greater love than to sacrifice for someone that you love. See, remember who Jesus is. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of all ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And yet he came into the form of a human being and spent time with us 
and eventually was allowing himself to be humiliated by humanity because he loved us and he wanted to show us the great amount of love. So when you look at the cross, not only is it an instrument of death, but it's also a sign of God's love for you. How much did Jesus love you? So much that he stretched out his arms for you. So I think God, way back in Genesis chapter 3, because you remember that's the first time that he gave the promise of the coming of the Messiah was in Genesis chapter 3. I think God way back then knew that he was going to send his son Jesus into this earth and he was going to die on the cross for us. What tremendous amount of love that he has for us. I think he also did it because he wanted to illustrate the ugliness and the tremendous cost of sin. In God's eyes, and in eternity's eyes, sin is ugly. Now, I know our society is, is, is trying to make wrong right and right wrong, and righteousness wrong and, and holiness wrong. I know our society has been trying to do that. We've been in this war since, since the creation of humanity. But we are at a point now where you cannot turn on the television anymore without looking at and seeing a sin after sin after sin that's being celebrated. And yet if someone stands up and says this is wrong, then on television they mock them, they beat them down, or even if it's on a comedy show, then they're laughed at. But yet sin is ugly. And in God's eyes, it is ugly. So much so, the Bible says that no sinner will enter the kingdom of God or will enter into heaven. You see, then how can I go to heaven? Because of the blood of Jesus. So when we stand before God, it's not, we're, going to, we're not going to be pure on our, our own efforts, but we're going to be pure based upon what Jesus did on the cross because he loved you and I. There is a place called hell because as we talked about before, there we are created as eternal beings. There is a place called hell and that's where those who do not know Jesus will spend eternity. That is nothing that, that I like to say, but it's the reality of what the Bible says. Okay, let's go further. The Bible, or Jesus gives us the perfect, because of the cross, why the cross? So Jesus could give us a perfect example of love through his life and death upon the earth. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is this, is Jesus did this so that we would follow his example. Okay? Every leader knows you can lead by dictation or you can lead by example. Which is more powerful? There was a story, and uh, let me read this to you in the back of my notes. Um, during World War II and Nazi occupation of Denmark, um, uh, King Christian X noticed the Nazi flag uh, flying over the Danish public building. He immediately called the German command and demanded that the flag be taken down at once, and the command refused. Then a soldier he basically said, the command said, then a soldier will go and take it down. Then the soldier will come and take it down, the king said. And the, the command said, he will be shot then. The king replied, I don't think so. 
for I shall be the soldier. And with minutes, within minutes, the flag was taken down. You can lead by example or you can lead by dictate. The most, most powerful is by example. That is something every pastor needs to understand. Is that people follow you. It, it comes right out and they've said this many times. It, pastors, if you don't like the way your church is, then you need to start looking in the mirror at yourself. Because they follow your example. Now, I'll be honest with you, we've had a lot of weird things in the last couple of years because of coronavirus. But people follow example. That's the one thing when I was in leadership in the denomination that I came from. I was in the uh, district leadership uh, as a cluster leader. And I, I, I try to emphasize that with, with my pastors over and over again. If you want your church to act this way, then you better start acting as well. So we get some pastors, oh, church, they don't follow me, and I, they rebel against me, and they're, they're, they're crying and everything else. And you look right at them and says, but are you doing what the denomination asks of you? Well, no. I said, now can you expect your church to do it? If you're not willing to do it, then how can you expect those under your, under your leadership to do it as well? And so here's Jesus. He gives us the example. There's no greater leadership than God, than divine, than Jesus. He, you know, he comes to the earth. He gives us an example of love. And he gives us that example so that we follow his example. The apostle Paul says, be imitators of me. Paul's saying, be imitators of me, as he's writing to the Corinthian church. Imitate me, because I am imitating Jesus. That's a Darwin Dunton trans, uh, paraphrase, but it gets a point across. Imitate me, as I imitate Jesus. You imitate Jesus. And allow your family to imitate you. Got it? And so Jesus came to this earth. And, and, and wanted to show us what love is so that we would follow his example. The Bible states in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, be conformed to the image of Christ. John chapter 13, where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, he says, for I have given you an example that you should also do what I have done. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He gave us the perfect example so that we would follow his example. See, our destiny as followers of Christ is to become glorified. Now, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in a sanctified sense. I mean that in a sense of I'm following Christ, therefore the glorification comes upon us. So, which and, and but the cost of that glorification is our lives. Meaning, every part of our lives, everything that we do, we line up to what Scripture says. We line up to what the Bible says. We line up to what Christ says. Your money, you line it up the way God wants it to be. You drive your automobile, you, 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 you line it up the way Christ wants you to be. You're, you're in a, the Oscars and you're about to ready to get the actor of the year. And someone insults you, you, you act the way Christ wants you to act. 
See, the cost, as Jesus says, is taking up a cross and following him. It means that basically we give our whole selves and it costs us our own lives. And when you give your whole self to God, that's when spiritual maturity starts to come in. Spiritual maturity comes from denying ourselves and allowing Christ to live through us. What we're essentially saying here is this. People need to see Jesus in you. Because you're following his example. Can they see Jesus in you? Just as God sent Jesus and we're to follow his example, we are, or, it gave us, God sent Jesus out of love. We are to follow that example. As a pastor, I get couples in my office that are married or before they're married and they're dealing with various issues in their lives. And the one thing that I've noticed is there's always a catchphrase that comes into the office and it changes every once in a while. What I mean is, it's a kind of cyclical, where people come in for a long period of time, and this is the excuse people give to justify their behavior. Then about 10 years later, there's another excuse they give to justify their behavior. And then about another 10 years, there's another excuse they give to justify their behavior. From, uh, you know, uh, one of them is, oh, he just treats me terrible. He verbally abuses me. What does that mean? And I find out that that stuff from he wakes up in the morning, say I have bad breath, to he just totally destroys me verbally. See, see how wide that is? Another one is, well, he's just not meeting my needs. What needs? That, that was one in the 80s. He's just not meeting my needs. Well, first of all, love is not meeting your needs. Love is you meeting their needs. You got that? Big difference. See, if it's all about me and love is about me, then guess what? You're never going to be satisfied. And that's one thing that we need to start teaching our children is the importance of learning how to properly love. Because love is not what you get out of it. Love is what you give to it. That is what Jesus talks about. And that's the demonstration that Jesus gave. I don't think when he was being beaten and insulted, he was going, this feels so good, and they're meeting my needs right now. No. He had you and I in mind. He says, I love them, I love them, I love them. I'm doing this for them. So we, I got grandkids in my house. And uh, I found out what the main purpose of grandkids are, of grandparents. You know what the main purpose of grandparenting is? To spoil them and send them home? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're already in my home, so that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I've come to the conclusion the main purpose of grandparenting is, is, to, is to protect the kids so, so you don't kill them. <laughs> um, it, it is amazing. I'm, I'm sure my daughter's going to say is, Dad, why are you letting them get away with it? Because you never let me get away with it. Am I right, Joanna? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They're just a little kid. It's no big deal. 
Yeah. So so here comes here comes little Lily. She comes up. These little eyes yep. at my bed. Papa. All right, get in bed. Boom. Then I get kicked the whole night. <laughs> you know why do you do that? Because love is not about you. It's about them. And I thought about the sacrifice of Jesus, and I thought about it in relation to my kids, my grandkids. Do you think that I would put myself in front of my grandkids to take the beating for them if I could? Don't tell my daughter this. Okay? <laughs> Don't tell my daughter this. But when they first came to my house and they were being punished, I had to walk in another room. <laughs> Don't touch what did you say? I watched you walk into room. Don't touch my grandkids. Beat me. Don't beat them. <laughs> and I can imagine Joanna going, you know, all those years I got punished. Ha ha, Dad. Come on. But, you know, that's what it's all about. It's this great love for you. And he's willing to take the stripes because he's willing to give because that's what true love is, is giving. And when you give, then you receive. Most of the time. All right. Why the cross? Last one. The cross gives us hope. There's one thing that I'm noticing. Is as I start reading the obituaries, the dates get closer and closer to my birthday. Uh, how many of you going, uh-huh, uh-huh. I saw somebody that died yesterday, and he was born in 1958. And I looked at myself, and I said, that is six years away from my birthday. It reminded me that as much as we do not like to talk about it, and as much as we uh, try to look the other way, there will come a time that I will breathe my last. I can look at that day with fear and tremor, or I can look at that day with hope. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a whole chapter in Corinthians that talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and why the death and resurrection is so important. And the Apostle Paul talks about uh, how if Jesus had not raised from the dead, then, then all that we preach, all that we do is worthless. And then he makes a comment, verse 20, one of my most favorite verses in the scripture. In fact, there's a word here that is one of my most favorite words found in the scriptures. But. I love the buts in scripture because it usually tells me something good has happened. So Apostle Paul spends this Many verses talking about the fact that Christ had raised from the dead. If he not raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. If he not raised from the dead, all that we do is worthless. Then he says, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through one man, the resurrection from the dead also comes through man. And that's where you get the hope from. And I, as weird as it sounds, and please, Daryl, don't take this wrong. There are times I sit in my comfy chair and I start planning my death. Don't arrest me. And don't give me the white coats. What I mean is, I would love to hear this song when I enter into the presence of Almighty God. I would love to have so-and-so. I would love to have this. That, this you, know, you know what I mean? If, and, and because of the hope that I have in Jesus and I face the reality of death that will come upon me and everyone else here, is we as Christians have the greatest hope. We don't have to look at the coffin and the grave in dismay. We can look at it with great hope, knowing that because God loved us, He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and He showed the great amount of love to pay the cost for our sins, so that when I breathe my last, I do not need to fear it, but I can look forward to it with the hope that I have through Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the key. And as I said, my favorite verse, but, and I'm probably going to focus on this on Easter, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead. So, Joanna challenged me about a year and a half ago in the midst of the coronavirus, she likes to write books. And I said, I got you a topic for the book. And I think I've already shared this with you. But the topic of the book is a World War II novel. Someone goes off to war. He's in a prison camp. When he comes back, he finds his wife married to someone else because of the fact that they had told uh, the wife that he was dead. He married. He comes and looks at his wife. And here she has kids with the other man. How's that for a theme? That's horrible, isn't it? And she goes, Dad, why don't you write the book? So I did. And I got to the point where the person was going to die. I said, I can't kill the guy. This is horrible. I could not do it. And so, so I'm done with it now. I don't know what we're going to do with it. But it, you know, it's a 400-page novel and everything else from a Christian standpoint. Then I got done and I started thinking, you know, it's easy to write a novel looking back. How about writing a novel looking forward? How about writing a novel about the first time you see Jesus? How about writing a novel when you breathe your last and the angels of God, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will feel no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. How about writing a novel when, when I go in my house, father's house in many rooms, and, and whoever's guiding says, here's your room. I do not believe it's a mansion. I believe it's a room. I'll explain that to you in another sermon. In my father's house are many rooms. This is your room. Why do I need a mansion? Why do I have to clean all those bathrooms? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the Bible says that, you know, you know, what are you going to do? What am I going to do in all of eternity? Fish on the golden pond? I don't know. But I do know that we're going to do something in heaven. How boring it would be. What is God going to give me? That's the hard one I'm stumped on. 
about when the angels are singing and all of a sudden the goes the shofar and and, and and all of a sudden you see everybody running to the center of, 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 of the new Jerusalem or the center of heaven and and, and, and you see Jesus coming down and he gets on the white stallion and they and everybody's screaming hallelujah as they leave to go to the earth and bring back the, those who have not tasted death. How, how about the time when we've been there 10,000 years? Bright shining as the sun. What, what, what will that be? How about when, when the angels of God or God himself takes the devil and throws them into the lake of fire and shuts the door and he'll never get out ever again? See, that's the hope of heaven. And if I could write a book like that, but I will tell you that would be the hardest one to write because it's easy to look backward. It's hard to look. Mark Twain said, a few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. And the cross is essentially the example that we are to follow. We are to follow the love of God. We are to follow the love of Jesus. As Jesus gave us the example, as the Apostle Paul followed the example of Jesus, let us follow the example of the Apostle Paul. On Sunday morning in 1865, and let us be the example for others. In a Sunday morning in 1865, a black man entered a fashionable church in Richmond, Virginia. When communion was served, he walked down the aisle and knelt at the altar. A rustle of resentment swept through the congregation. How dare he? After all, believers in that church used the communion cup. Suddenly, a distinguished layman stood up and stepped forward to the altar and knelt beside the black man. With Robert E. Lee setting the example, the rest of the congregation soon followed his lead. Let us be the leaders, following the leader of Jesus. He showed us the great uh, dramatic demonstration of his love. Let us love one another with that. He illustrated the ugliness and the tremendous cost of sin. Let us strive towards holiness. He gave us the perfect, perfect example of love through his life and death on earth. Let us be willing to sacrifice our all for others. And the death and the resurrection because of the cross gives us hope. Let us hold on to the bright future that we have in store. Let us follow the example and let us give the example for others. Let's pray. Father, there is uh, so much here. We thank you for what the cross symbolizes. It is an instrument of death. It is ugly. It is, it is cruel what the people went through. It is ugly and cruel what Jesus went through. But Father, help us to follow the example of Jesus as he went to Jerusalem knowing that the cross was there for him. But he was willing to get on for us. For the Lord. Be with us. And be with us all, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.